Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host tonight, Matt Filipovitz, and I am joined by my phenomenal, talented, and fellow Lehigh Valley native co-host, Mr. Craig Fritz. Craig, hello. How are you? Uh, this Parkland Trojan's doing great. How's my uh, resident K-Kid? Uh, I, the Northampton Concrete Kids have left the conference that um, Parkland was in because you guys had like triple the players we did throughout my entire time. Uh, but I think we're dominating the the Pocono League. I don't even know what league they're in anymore. They have a new stadium now, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, I know they host like the lacrosse finals that Parkland's always in every year at that stadium because it's, it's gorgeous. Definitely probably a good a good uh, expenditure of the school and tax resources in the area for the new stadium. For sure. All right, let's shift the topic because I have no idea how to tie tax codes back into Penn State football. So we're just going to dive right in. Tonight is our linebacker preview. If you missed it, we have an entire week's back catalog of offensive position previews from last week. Yesterday, Nick and Evil Matt went over the defensive line. Like I said, today, Craig and I are going to be doing linebackers. But before that, we are recording this on Monday, August 14th, which officially marks the last full week before football comes back with week zero games coming up next Saturday. And with that milestone comes the first AP poll. Craig, we'll touch on it at the top. I think you and I are both in the same boat where that the AP poll exists. So when we were a written website, we had something to write about, I think is kind of how we viewed it. It was great content. Doesn't really mean anything, you know, especially in the era of the playoff poll. But Penn State comes in at number seven. It is their highest ranking since 2017. They matched this ranking in 2020, but their total points was higher this year than it was in 2020. That's how I'm getting there. I'm not doing any of the Tide stuff. It's the <laughs> highest ranking in six years. So, Craig, how do you feel about that? Does seven feel right? It, it feels like it's it's hard to be mad about being the number seven team in the country. It just feels weird because they're the number three ranked team in their own division. Yeah, I mean... As always, like I, the AP poll is kind of this thing that is just exists for writers to give each other something to talk about and pretend like they still matter in the decisions made in the college football landscape. I mean, it's completely and utterly meaningless. A team that is unranked will finish in the top 10. A team that is preseason in the top 10 will finish unranked. A tale as old as time. Prognostication of a sport that includes massive transfer portal swings and 18 to 22 year olds is a fool's errand. So yeah, Penn state seven great point to jump off and start from. But um, like you said, that if, if you were thirsty and had a cup that was um, theoretically the AP poll, you would uh, drink nothing because it doesn't hold any water. Wow. That's a great turn of, I have never heard that Craig. That's an elite turn of phrase. Um, and, then, and then for reference, so Penn State does have three opponents on the schedule ranked in this initial top 25. So obviously Ohio State, Michigan. Um, I should probably flip those because Michigan was ranked higher than Ohio State for the first time preseason in like forever. Um, and then Iowa snuck in there at number 25. And sure. Illinois was amongst the others receiving votes. So that's that's the lay of the land for Penn State in, in 2023. So Craig, do you want to dive right in and talk about a linebacker room that I think you and I are both equally high on. I may be a little bit higher on the depth than you are, but we can get to that in a second. Shall we just jump right in? Let's do it. LBU. So let's pick up. Let's kind of kick things off, I guess, where we left off last year. So Abdul Carter came in 
an immediate impact once he was done being suspended for targeting. Let's let's word it like uh. that. Uh, gets ejected from the Purdue game on his very first play, misses essentially an entire game, uh, and he still goes out there and he finishes second on the team in tackles. Uh, he totaled 56 total tackles. Again, that's second on the team, 10 and a half tackles for loss, and he led the Nittany Lions with six and a half sacks. The number two guy in that room was Curtis Jacobs, who is flying up draft boards depending on where you look. He's getting a lot of hype going into his senior year. For him, 52 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, and four sacks. The only linebacker with an interception as well, I want to make sure I make a note of. Um, also, I believe the only linebacker with a reception in his career. Uh, Craig, do you remember when Curtis Jacobs' reception happened and what the context was? Um, Matt, as we have discussed previously, I have a multitude of children and don't sleep very much, so I have no idea. <laughs> This happened, uh, Jordan Stout threw it to him on a fake punt oh. uh, against uh, Michigan in a drive, which also featured a fake field goal, I believe, uh, which resulted in no points. Um, yes. So shout out the 2021 season. Uh, yes. Next up would be Tyler Elsden, though, in the middle with 44 tackles, three tackles for loss, and one sack. He split that time with Kobe King, who totaled 41 tackles and four tackles for loss. Jonathan Sutherland started the year as a starter eventually it was kind of overtaken and quickly just became a, a gadget piece, but I will say had a good preseason opener for the Seahawks this past week, but Sutherland with 38 tackles and one sack Dom DeLuca, additional scholarship guy, 29 tackles, two tackles for loss and one sack. And then Keon Wiley played in three games had half a sack in the Rose bowl, but his biggest option or biggest option, biggest contribution was that he was with Jake Wilson, uh, a walk on defensive end. He was the, development squad defensive player of the year as a true freshman so we love to see that we love to see a guy go out there and maximize his opportunities no matter where they come but Craig what were your thoughts on this linebacker room last year this time last year it was a big question mark it seems to me like they really answered the bell you know I had big reservations because you had basically Jonathan Jonathan Sutherland, who, you know, was a special teams ace for his entire career, being thrust into a role that required him to probably almost definitely play out of position. Um, then you had Curtis Jacobs, who was the pretty much only really known quantity and a bunch of freshman eligible um, guys coming in to fill out the rest of the depth. Uh, and they did. I mean, they did. Well, Penn State won a lot of games. I think the bugaboo for the linebacker, well, the whole defense uh, was Michigan. Uh, there's only mm-hmm. so much you can do. It was, you know, there were a lot of mistakes. It was a poorly called game. Um, it was a perfect storm uh, for the defense. And other than that, uh, obviously, Abdul Carter, national coming out party, recognition across the board. You know, people cannot stop talking about him. Um, there's a lot of chatter about Curtis Jacobs' leadership coming through and maturity just taking it up another level. And like you said, rocketing up draft boards. And I think that there's a huge opportunity here for him, obviously, to um, fulfill that hype. And they're going to need it. Um, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you know, outside of Carter and Jacobs with Sutherland, Sutherland again, had a wealth of knowledge, um, maybe didn't have the physical tools to play linebacker at an elite level at Penn state, but you know, left his heart in the field, a captain several times over 
And um, I just am, you know, I'm kind of in the same place I was last year. Really? You have yeah. like equal question marks as you were last year, despite what this group gave you. I think that you have two elite players that would start on pretty much, you know, 99.7% of the teams in the country. Um, but after that, you have role players that are going to be thrust into a larger position. Um, you have guys that did okay. Um, didn't really flash athletically, but you know, I do, you know, wonder how much it really matters. Um, I think that if Carter and Jacob stay healthy, it's not going to matter. And that is my concern is linebacker is a tough position to stay, to play 13 games. Now Carter did that last year, but one, you know, he played one rep in Purdue and was out and then suspended right. until the second half of, or the whole next game. Um, if one of them goes down, there's, there's, I think maybe experience was great for Kobe King and Tyler Elsden. Um, but from a physical gifts standpoint, they cannot replace uh, Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter. So there would be, in my opinion, a huge drop off. Okay. So it's more of like a, a depth thing for you. It's that Carter and Jacobs are on this whole nother realm and nobody else. Granted, that's an incredibly high bar to clear. I think those are both Sunday players with Abdul right. Carter. I think trending towards a day one pick is kind of where you stand. I, I get your point there. I think going back to last year, I think Ellis Brooks had a lot of flaws. Don't get me wrong. I was a big Ellis Brooks fan. I think he consistently delivered. I think he played behind a maligned defensive tackle room for a lot of his career. Uh, and I think he's a guy who definitely was a plus player. And with how many reps he played, he was never really injured all that often. I think it really hindered guys like Tyler Ellison and Kobe King's ability to gain experience. So I think right there, that was going to be a concern. And not that those guys played poorly, because Kobe King did definitely get better. It's that, especially once Manny Diaz found a way to get both Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs on the field at the same time, it was so clearly the top two and then everybody else. And right. I totally get the reservation to think that it can't be, but if anybody's going to step up and, and be that guy to ascend it's probably not going to be a backup outside linebacker just by nature of the reps available to them. It's probably going to have to be one of the guys manning the middle. And it's going to be a platoon again. Elsden started every game last year, but it is you know significant, I think, that he missed spring with some kind of injury. Again, I don't know what kind of injury that was. I don't know if it hindered his play for a lot of the season. Maybe it made him a step slower. Maybe it made him miss a couple tackles. Who knows? Kobe King, I think, really maximized the spring and at Franklin's media availability, he just had like an hour and a half ago. Kobe King was listed as one of the surprises of camp. So, Craig, what are you, what would either Kobe, first of all, who do you think is going to get the lion's share of the reps, for lack of a better term, at that Mike position? Do you think it's going to be Kobe King? Or do you think it's going to be Tyler Elsden? Or do you think it's like even like a, like a 55-45 split and nobody really takes control of that room? I, I honestly, I, I don't think... Either of them are going to take control of the room. I think they are complementary players. I think that one thing that Manny Diaz has shown with the rest of the elite talent on this defense that um, I think two linebackers are going to play a lot. 
and the you know the the star hero sniper um whatever uh, that player is from the safety prowler. position the prowler craig the prowler sorry you know every every school has um a very terrifying name for um that <laughs> jack of all trades player but i think if in this base defense if diaz has his way it's going to be a 425 um except when they play teams like michigan who want to maul you and then hit play action um so it'll be interesting to watch just because they're i don't think they're necessarily going to have to have a whole lot of um expectations thrust on them like be solid be in position make plays that they don't need to be the ones um flashing they need to be the ones that you know take on their assignment and do the right thing every play because carter and jacobs are such freaks that they'll make the unbelievable play and the guy in the middle needs to just make sure that he does his job yeah, you can cover up a lot of sins with Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs flanking you. Um, I'm, I'm going to say, I think Kobe did play a lot better. I think Kobe King really came along. It's his third year in the program. He was always a guy who was going to take a little bit. I think the reps were very valuable. That's a really great point you made, Craig, about the the base defense, if you know all is fair. Or not base defense, maybe the majority defense is probably right, going to sure. be with five defensive backs on the field. I think that's with how often I think they're going to get teams behind the sticks. I think we're going to see a ton of five defensive back sets. So obviously you're going to take your middle linebacker off the field and let a great pass rusher in Abdul Carter and a pretty good, you know, um, pass defender in Curtis Jacobs, just a chaos player in there as well. So I think I see where you're coming from in that regard. But I think in terms of like the Illinois game, I think stands out as that first big test. I'm going to consider that like the big swing game of the season. Like, I think the Illinois game is where we're going to learn if this Penn State team is a legitimate Big Ten title contender or if they're, you know, probably a New Year's Six type contender. And both of those are perfectly fine seasons. It's not what I'm hoping for. At least one of those isn't. So I just need to see that Kobe King has learned gap assignment, that he understands where he has to be, that he can help the defensive tackles that still have a little bit of these scars. And I think the fans do as well. I think, Craig, you and I especially do, thinking about, Everybody who played poorly in that Michigan game is kind of always going to be in the back of our minds until we see something differently. But I think Kobe King is going to take control of that position. I just think he is so big and strong. And with the praise he's been heaped and with all the reps he's been able to get, I think there's definitely still a role for Elsden. I really think he has great instincts. But I think first snap out there against West Virginia, it's going to be Kobe King. And I think for like a majority of the snaps out there against Illinois, even factoring in the obvious, you know, five defensive back sets they're going to go if they can get them behind the sticks. I still think that primary defense in that game is going to be Kobe King in there at the Mike linebacker position. So it's definitely an interesting, an interesting room and it's definitely going to evolve. And just a lot of credit goes to Manny Diaz for teaching these guys how to fill a multitude of roles. Like Jacobs has been really good at dropping into coverage. He's also been really good at making plays behind the line of scrimmage. Although Carter isn't the best in coverage, he's been he's been fine. I can't name a time he's really been burned that badly, but he's been great both in run support. And like I said, as a true freshman, despite essentially playing one fewer game, he still led the team in sacks. So it's a very multi-talented, multifaceted 
linebacker room. And Craig, speaking of things that I think make your room multifaceted, and uh, I don't know where else I'm going with this, but it's the Home Field Apparel ad read. Home Field Apparel is our podcast sponsor. They have been great partners to us for the better part, actually over a year now at this point, we're heading into year two with them. And if you don't know about them, what are you doing? They make some of the coolest collegiate apparel out there in the marketplace today. I'm rocking, as many listeners know, our YouTube viewers. This is one of my favorite shirts in the collection. It's the old Nittany Lion Shrine logo. And they have a 15-piece Penn State collection that dropped back in 2022. And then a new 13-piece collection, which includes joggers, which I'm excited to own, a Nittany Lion script logo in both a t-shirt and a hoodie that Craig has his eye on. And our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code RLR23. They have all kinds of schools. They're always dropping new ones. The season is 19 days away at time of recording. So if you want to get your new gear in before the season, make sure you get those orders in ASAP. Again, that's homefieldapparel.com, promo code RLR23. And Craig, I've been talking for a good little bit. Do you want to fawn? I'll let you pick your guy, Abdul Carter or Curtis Jacobs. Who in this room do you think is going to be, I don't want to call it the alpha, I think they can coexist, but who's going to be the guy to make more splash plays? It's a very interesting question. And, you know, I wanted to, I was thinking while you were talking about Carter, maybe not being so great in pass coverage, but you do, we do have to remember that as the season wore on, his freak status came out. So I'm, I'm going to go with Carter, right? Because okay. I think that Jacobs is an exceptional talent. I think that Carter is in that, I don't think he's quite at the LeVar, Micah Parsons level, but he's like, Half a wrong, yeah, and so this is why I go with him because, yeah, there. I feel like there was a, you know, a couple instances where he was trying to cover a linebacker down the seam and it didn't, or a, I'm sorry, a tight end down the seam early on in the season didn't really work out for him. That's neither here nor there at this point. But the kid improved at everything he was asked to do, and I think he has far enough physical ability to be able to be a very good pass defender. It's just if Manny Diaz wants him to do that or not, or if he just wants him to constantly be around the line of scrimmage, making havoc plays behind the line of scrimmage. And I pick him just because the role that Manny has carved out for him seems to really generate, like you said, he led the team in sacks, 10 and a half tackles for loss. You're going to see those, those numbers go up. I'm not saying he's going to lead the team in sacks again, but he's going to be among the leaders, which for a team that has some significant talent at defensive end, another potential first rounder in Chop Robinson, um, it's a big deal for a linebacker to be, you know, popping off those accolades of sack leader, um, tackle for loss leader. Uh, The thing that I love about it is these guys obviously – take it upon themselves to be extremely competitive in team. And you know that everyone on the D line is like, well, we can't let this freshman linebacker to <laughs> lead the team in sacks. Are you kidding me? Uh, I, you know, expecting big years all around from there, but that's why I'm picking Carter just because his athleticism is through the roof. Um, he's trending as the next guy that's going to, you know, light his pro day 40 on fire, um, leave turf marks, you know, in Indianapolis when he runs um, and everyone will be watching. And so I'm just, you know, I, 
he's going to do things that are jaw dropping in his sophomore campaign. I, I can't wait to watch it. I'm going to agree that Abdul Carter is probably going to make more of those, those splash plays, those flashy plays. But in terms of who's going to impact the guys around him more, I'm going to give that to Curtis Jacobs simply by nature of where he plays. So Jacobs started last year at the Will linebacker, which if you remember, that's the that was the Micah role. Micah was the Will linebacker. You're not really playing to the boundary. You're playing to the sideline where there's less space to, less space to work. So naturally, you can create more chaos on that side because you can overload people on one side where there's not as much room to grow. Once Jacobs moved over to the Sam, which is the field side linebacker, he proved he is phenomenal at making plays in space. Usually more often than not, the quarterback is going to almost always be looking at where there's more space to throw. That's where Jacobs makes his living. I know he didn't really have the sack numbers, but on a lot of draw plays, I think Jacobs did a great job of getting off his blocks and making plays in the open field. There's a lot more open field tackles to be made when you play the Sam. And Jacobs, I think, is a very sound tackler. I think he's going to make the guys around him better. I think he's going to make the corners around him better. I wouldn't be surprised if he, it feels like last year, Abdul Carter batted down a ton of balls. Like if you go back and watch that Michigan State game specifically, he probably had like three balls batted down. I think Jacobs can make that kind of impact by just closing in in that kind of space and speeding guys up. So that's where I think Jacobs has just a ton of value. I think he's a guy who, do I really buy this? This guy can be a first round pick hype. I'll be honest, I, I just don't see it yet. I think he's definitely a day two pick in the NFL draft if all goes well. He's athletic. He's fast. He's physical. He's big. He's strong. He was a safety in high school, so he can cover. You know, he can be an asset on special teams at the next level. But I just think that these two together complement each other so well. And they all did learn every position. Like, Abdul could probably pay, play the mic in a pinch. Right. And I think that would be really beneficial. But is it better to have him lined up on the, uh, you know, the short side of the field and let him just create havoc on some poor tackle? Probably. But the flexibility, I think, just allows them to just create havoc and chaos. And Craig, are you a believer that this team can, or this unit specifically, can make a pretty big jump? I don't know how you really improve upon those top two, but let, yeah, we're talking about them. Let's kind of keep it rolling. What does a jump for those top two guys look like? And is it realistic for them to play much better in year two of the Diaz defense? Well, yeah, I think it is because much like you would anticipate a quarterback and uh, a line adjusting to a new offensive coordinator, the defense, especially the principals, will adjust and become more comfortable with the terminology and the situational awareness that goes with just knowing instead of waiting for a call, they'll see the offense make an adjustment and know what Manny Diaz wants to um, audible to without having to say, look over and say, Hey, Hey Manny, you know, what, what is, are we changing our play as well? Um, it's just the comfort that comes with being around in meeting rooms for another whole year, another whole spring, another full camp. Um, and I think that my, my thing isn't so much that their individual statistics are going to get be better because six and a half sacks and 11 tackles for loss and a, a you know, a pick for Jacobs and um, all those stats are very highly, like extremely productive. I expect them to be extremely productive, but I think as a whole, the defense will be more solid because 
of that situational awareness and everybody knowing exactly where they need to be and what they need to do. And perhaps you don't see um, some of the busted plays or the inability to adjust to a team like Michigan that runs the same play left or the same play right over and over and over with success um, that will be able to punch back and, um, you know, avoid those types of game wrecking um, plays that the defense gives up. The good news is there are some reinforcements to come in now. So they've added three true freshmen, which brings the room up to nine scholarship guys, which is, I think the most stocked covered on the defensive side of the ball outside of maybe I think defensive end has nine scholarship guys as well. And the guys they brought in Tony Rojas and Tamir Robinson were in for spring and KB on keys came onto campus just a little bit later. Craig, I'm going to put keys as a redshirt guy. I think that's totally. probably fair to say too much in front of him. Robinson, I think was a yellow at the open practice, he was not out there. I don't know if that means he's dinged up. I think you and I both have our suspicions, but I think definitely a guy who can make an impact should he get out there on the field. And I said this when he signed, I believe Tony Rojas was going to be green. It feels like he's answered the bell in a major way over the past, I guess, eight months he's been on campus. Do I think this guy is going to start? No. Do I even think he's going to outsnap the Dom DeLucas on the roster? No. But in terms of special teams impact, and I think he's going to be the kind of guy to make a pop play against like the UMasses, against the respectfully Northwesterns. Like I think Tony Rojas is for sure a green light and gives them great additional depth at outside linebacker. And granted, that may not be where they need it, but in terms of it's Jacobs last year, he's going to be gone. I think Carter, if he keeps playing like he is, is a, you know, three years and out kind of guy. I think getting Rojas on the field early is going to be huge for the future of this position. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the the one thing we were waiting when he came in, it was obviously be- hugely beneficial for him to be an early enrollee because the knock was that he was undersized. And then all these mm-hmm. reports come out. It's like, well, who is taking to the strength program the best? And, oh, there's Tony. He's up 10 pounds. 17 pounds, you know, it really took to the strength and conditioning program at Penn state. And there's no chance that he red shirts because no. you know, my philosophy on, um, special teams, it's the minor leagues. It's where all the prospects go. And we'll talk about that later in the week, but, um, he's for sure going to have a major special teams role. And I wouldn't even be surprised. Um, you know, he's the type of player that can get so much out of, you know, practice being in these game planning meetings and all this kind of stuff and really soak it in that later in the season in a big spot, they might call his number to make a big play just because the other team doesn't necessarily have tape on that. And you're always looking for some sort of athletic and film and strategic advantage, especially late in the year when you've put so much on tape, um, I, I mean, I would love him. I would love to see him just like destroy JJ McCarthy uh, <laughs> in Beaver Stadium, like you know, in some sort of um, linebacker stunt where they don't expect that this guy is going to rush. And it was like, oh, with this Curtis Jacobs dinged up, and who's this true freshman that came in on the field? We should go try to pick on him. And haha, jokes on you. Um, you know, my heart just fluttered a little bit thinking about it. But um, you know, that's the type. He's that kind of athlete. So. Mm-hmm. You, he was, I mean, you know, what was he, Craig? He was the Virginia Offensive Player of the Year 
uh, right, as a running, running back. back. Yes. So clearly, athleticism, if something holds him back at all, it's not going to be athleticism. Maybe it's getting the playbook. But again, mid-year guy, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to be pretty well up to speed. From our understanding, I think Franklin said it today, the threes and fours at practice, which I'm assuming Rojas is in right now, has essentially doubled their reps in camp by nature of them being able to add 10 players to the roster during camp and with the depth they've been able to uh, cultivate. So I really do feel he's like a guy who you put him out there against Michigan and you say you are a better athlete than pretty much anybody who's going to be trying to block you. Go make a play and don't miss the tackle. And I think that's absolutely (laughs) something that could be beneficial. Um, And I'm dying to see him. I think of every true freshman on this roster, um, he is the player I am most excited to see. Just because I think he is going to show a lot in very few reps. And that's always an exciting, exciting kind of player when we get to see that. So, Craig, let's let's wrap it up. We're going to end with two questions. And my first one is, I guess, kind of a question. How can I word this as a question? Craig, will you name me your breakout player from this unit? You know, you've swayed me. And I think that when the season ends, we'll look back and say that Kobe King really came on and perhaps differentiated himself as an integral part of this defense going into 2024. Uh, Maybe in the beginning of the year, it's a timeshare. It's, you know but doing his job, uh, earning more reps. Um, I, I, I think it would be fantastic for this defense overall. If he had a shine, a season where you can go, yeah, that kid, that kid had a heck of a year alongside two freaks. So, uh, it's hard to get out of their shadow for sure. And, but you know, people that have already broken out, can't, can you break out, break out? Like what is, so th- those those two are um, beyond reproach. And so I'll go with King um, to be the 2023 LBU breakout player of the year. So King was going to be mine, but I got to mix <laughs> it up now. And I can't, I mean, we're kind of boxed in here. The pro- Again, the point you made about how often this team is going to go five defensive backs is such a great one because it really limits a lot of guys' opportunity. And I really want to say Keon Wiley here, but I think I have to be realistic about what he can be. I love the fact that as a true freshman, he goes out there, he understood where he was on the depth chart, and he worked his ass off, I'm assuming, to become that scout team defensive player of the year. The staff doesn't hand those awards out to keep guys feeling good. It usually goes to like like a walk-on who's probably not going to enter the portal. Like I think Wiley can give him good minutes, but I'm going to have to go back to the guy I just talked about, and it's Tony Rojas. I think his role is just going to continue to increase as the year goes on. Will he hit the Abdul Carter level of snaps? No. But could he hit the Jonathan Sutherland, like the number five linebacker in terms of snaps? That's still probably going to be like eight snaps a game. I think you can make an impact in that kind of role, especially for a guy who is that athletic and that talented that fast. So Put me down for Tony Rojas. If you want to call a guy who probably is going to play eight, sna- eight snaps a game, a breakout player, uh, that's a real sicko stuff. But then I guess we're the <laughs> podcast for you. Um, and then, Craig, we'll end it with our final question. The 2023 Penn State linebackers, better or worse than the 2022 Penn State linebackers? Better. Okay. I think that just by way of, again, we've talked about Jonathan Sutherland pretty much playing out of position. And it was yep. because there was no one else to take on that role, 
right? He got moved to safety immediately after signing with the Seahawks. Like he got right. moved back like the day he got signed. Yeah, I mean, he is a special teams ace, and that's why where his value has always been. Um, just to have nine guys that can focus on, you know, their job, their role, and are more of the prototypical, prototypically sized and prototypical athlete and linebacker, I think overall the unit will have a better performance again. And we talked about being in year two of the Diaz defense. Um, I, I think they'll be m- more dependable and solid unit this year in 2023. I think this is going to be the, I'll plant my flag. This is the best linebacker room in the big 10. I think the wow. top end is that talented. And I think, they have nine guys on scholarship. I think they have seven who are for sure going to play, which kind of gives them a true two deep because at Mike, you're going to have both um, Kobe King and Tyler Elsden. I think that's fair to say with Keon Wiley as a guy who's cross-trained there. I think at Sam, you're probably going to have Curtis Jacobs and Tony Rojas and Dom DeLuca. So there's a little bit of that in there. And then I think at the will, I think Jacobs and I think Wiley can play there in a pinch. So you have all these moving parts. And then you factor in Tamir Robinson, who could factor in at Mike. Uh, again, he's coming off a pretty severe lower leg injury at the end of his high school career. So I like the idea of yellow light him, get him in against some lighter sure. opponents, see what you have. And then KB on keys, again, no disrespect to the guy, just too much in front of him right now for, I think, a guy who didn't enroll early to make an impact. So you've got seven guys who I believe can play. I think you have two of the better linebackers in the Big Ten, if not the country. And I think you have a middle linebacker group that could take a step forward, playing for a guy in Manny Diaz who loves to create havoc with linebackers. So my expectations for this group are through the roof. I think this can be a truly dominant and a big return to linebacker you. And I'm really excited that Dan Connor's in that room as an analyst to kind of help guide them and usher in that next great generation. Like, it was around probably the Paul Puzlesny, Dan Connor years when Penn State legitimately could claim they had the best top to bottom linebacker room in the Big Ten. And I'm excited that gets to happen again. And Craig, we're really close to football, but is there anything else you want to touch on on this Penn State linebacker room before we send the folks off into their Tuesday? I mean, this is probably the most thorough Penn State linebacking podcast that anyone will listen to in Penn Penn State fandom. So I don't have anything to add except um, that was awesome. I can't wait to see these guys flying around the field and uh, go state. Go state. Craig, thank you for joining me. I'm very excited. I'm going to peel back the curtain here and I'm going to see you in like an hour when we record our cornerbacks podcast, uh, which will be coming out tomorrow, which I believe will be Wednesday if my calendar is correct. Uh, If you haven't already, like we mentioned, be sure to go back. We have the entire catalog of offensive preview pods from last week out there on your podcast platform of choice. While you're there, if you can leave us a five-star review and leave a comment in there, let us know what you think about our podcast. Five-star reviews are always appreciated. We currently have a hundred of them. If we can get to 101, I will be very happy. If you're on YouTube, hop in the comments. We're building a pretty nice, fun little community down there. Really smart conversation, I think, a lot of the time. Uh, And guys who always, I think, just really want to talk about Penn State football, same as everybody on this podcast does. Uh, Shout out to our friends over at Home Field for sponsoring this podcast. Again, that's 15% off your first order with promo code RLR23. And for my co-host, Craig Fritz, I'm Matt Lebovitz. Take care, everyone, and go State. Go State.